is broken. That is not news to anybody who's reading. The world is broken. And the old song is right. What the world needs now is love. But, let me add, we don't need some watered-down love that leaves us holding hands and singing kumbaya around a campfire. As much fun as that might be. And we don't need a warm, fuzzy, feely, dare I say, Hallmark Channel kind of love that celebrates our brokenness. Oh, it's all broken. It's okay. Read it. Read all the broken toys from Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. Read it. Read it. It's okay. Why do you? Oh, I'm sorry. That's probably a different person. Just stay out of that. Read a powerful love. Uh, I mean, the song says sweet love, and so powerful probably doesn't even fit the theme. But read uh, a powerful love. A love that's powerful enough to change us. To restore us. Yeah, okay. Let me take this broken world. We need a love that turns greedy persons into generous persons. We need a love that transforms self centered individuals into other focused individuals. We need a love that will stop, that will help us stop asking what's in it for me and will help us to start asking what can do for you. We need the love that Jesus commanded of this world and many followers 2,000 years ago. We need this. We need what I am going to be calling this week and next week love raised to the second power. Where can we find that kind of love? To whom can we turn for a love that is that powerful? Well, and I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. We're going to dig into Jesus' very short, brief discussion. Uh, Jesus believed in gifts. He was short and sweet. Not the sweet sweet. This is just a But a broken world is something else. But Jesus' world is truly short and sweet. Um, and we're going to dig into this brief discussion of the powerful love that we need uh, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28 to 34. You can read in the Bible there from the book rack. It's on page uh, 1005, or you can follow along in the version app or whatever you want to use. Or you can follow along right here on the screen. So in the last days of Jesus' life, before his crucifixion and resurrection, and one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. People had been arguing with Jesus, trying to trap him. This is the truth. You know, this is, he's had a bad day. He just prepared to live the last days of Jesus' life. The people in authority were looking for a legal way to kill him. I've had bad days, and I've had people who don't really like me. But as far as I know, I've never met anybody who was legally looking for a way to kill me. Or illegally, for that matter. Okay, so that's the teacher, one of the teachers of the law heard them debating and trying to trap Jesus. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? They had about 600. 
So which one of these is the most important? Jesus. The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Anything left out? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Right? That's it. That's that. Love the Lord with all that you have. And the second is that, well, bonus, bonus answer, yeah, so we'll be most important, but here's the second, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I want to pause and point out that Matthew, Mark, Mark does this record, uh, but Matthew is also there, and he, yeah, and he has two hour answers for the same thing, but he's going to remember different things. It's one of the great things about having four gospels, four records of Jesus' life, eight. They have a lot of things that are similar, but they have some things that are different. Matthew remembers that Jesus said, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The entire Old Testament, and I'm going to tell you now, the entire New Testament, the, the entire Bible is founded on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you can remember those two, but if you can obey those two, you've taken care of everything else. All it takes to be a follower of Jesus. For everybody who thinks it's really complicated to be dedicated and committed and a uh, follower of Jesus, and it's not complicated. You only have to remember two things love God and love your neighbor. Well said, said the teacher. Well said, teacher, said the man. That's right. That's right. This verse always gives me a smile inside. Can you imagine telling Jesus to be your king, the Lord of Lords, the Word of God Himself, the message of God in His human flesh? Oh, that was a good answer. Well said, Jesus, and then replied, You are right to say that God is one and there is no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all. Let me change that word real quick. It's more important than everything. But in this case, all burnt offerings and sacrifices. All the other religious activity that goes on in the temple where they were meeting Christ. All this other religious activity is not as important as these two commands to love God and to love your neighbor. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. From then on, no one dared ask him any questions. Instead,
So here, don't summarize what Jesus just said. Turn it in a sentence. If you remember nothing else from today, remember this. Jesus deserves our all-out love and loyalty. Jesus is our goal and our example. He is our whole desire and our eternal reward. He is our Alpha and Omega. He is our beginning and end. For those of us who don't read the Greek alphabet, He is our A and B. He is our beginning and end. And because He is all this, He must become, He must become our intensely personal beloved one. The one we love. Our desire to know Jesus has to transform into a thrillingly deep personal love for Him as our King, as our Savior. And Jesus' commitment must be to Jesus, our unswerving devotion, our supreme love, our life's absorbing passion must be Jesus. To know Him more and more must be our deepest desire, to please Him more and more our greatest hunger. Glorify Him more and more, to honor Him, to be held by His honor Him, to worship Him more and more has to be our highest ambition. Now, despite the fact that He deserves our all-consuming worship and, and our entire lives and all that we are, our love for Jesus can turn out to be that cold and impersonal. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment because I, we need to admit something here. Most of us are from Northern European stock. You know what I mean? You know, we're, we're, we're from the Northern part of Europe. I, I, almost all of my ancestors came from the British Isles. Between the British Isles and in me. Then my mom came along and brought a little duck to me. Uh, so uh, I have a little bit from the continent. But we tend to be a little more reserved. You're not sure what I mean. Hang out with the Italians. Or the Spanish. You ever notice? They don't really think about what's about it. Northern Europeans go, they're cold outside. We tend to be a little reserved. So when I'm talking about uh, our love being cold and impersonal, I'm not talking about the fact that we tend to be a little reserved in our expression of our love for Jesus. Okay? Not asking people to change their whole ethnic cultural mindset at all. What I am asking of you is your trust. Because it's one thing to be reserved, it's another thing to be cold and personal in our relationship with Jesus. But that tendency to sit there is, is, is part of our brokenness. It's part of being in this broken world. That's the way we tend. That's the way we lead. We're stuck often 
we can become stuck and not even realize it. We can we can become cold and impersonal in our relationship with Jesus and, and not even realize it. In the first century, Jesus confronted the Christians of the big city of Ephesus for abandoning their first love. They, they did the right thing, they taught the right doctrines, they believed the correct doctrines, but their love for Jesus had cooled off. They were dutiful, responsible Christian And there was a poet in the 1700s, 1800s, uh, who confessed his personal frustration with these words. Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is weak and faint. Yes, I love you, and I do it. Oh, the grace to love you. You can slip into a rut in your relationship with Jesus. Your love for Him can grow cold and impersonal. You can take Him for granted. You can worship Him out of duty, responsibility, and habit. Uh, it can be a simple ritual, but that's not what you're designed for. Now, in case you think I must be talking about somebody else, I don't get up here and ask these questions to you without having asked these myself. Okay, I'll just be more honest. Here's a couple of my life thoughts. I really want to ask you what's experience in front of you. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you a few questions to help you and to help me analyze the temperature of your love for Jesus. In other words, how often do you really worship Jesus out of a heart of love? I mean, it's one thing to do it in church. What about the rest of the week? Do it the Sunday morning thing? Or how often do you really take time to adore Him? Okay, I'm just going to ask you not to answer that one other Everybody keep it to themselves, okay? Good. How often have you given this expectation? Yeah, yes, sir. In what area of your life are you falling short of completing the How often do you 
all the things about that for a minute. Let me go and tell you. Think about that for a minute. You keep the cost and all the pain and all the suffering and the dying and you listen to you to go, you can